Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Across the region, workers in some of the toughest, lowest-paying jobs, the essential workers of the pandemic, sometimes have their wages stolen, aren't paid overtime properly, or otherwise shorted by their employers. And the way that they're supposed to rectify that situation is by filing a complaint with the Labor Commissioner's office. After that, they're supposed to get a hearing. But KQED analysis of state data has shown that's not happening in the time it's supposed to. People in Oakland and San Francisco are waiting two to three years on average. We dig into why this system to protect vulnerable workers is failing so badly. And then we talk oysters with our food editor, Luke Sai. That's all next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. You may not devote a lot of time to thinking about California's labor commissioner's office, but it plays an essential role in holding employers accountable for treating their workers fairly and not stealing their wages. But for years, the system has been backlogged, which discourages workers from even filing complaints, even if, as in some cases, they've had thousands of dollars taken out of their pockets. In a few minutes, we'll be joined by Farida Javala Romero, the KQED reporter who's been leading our investigation into this backlog. But first, to give us the inside perspective on these issues, we're joined by Carlos Torres. He's the assistant chief of the Wage Claim Adjudication Unit at the California Labor Commissioner's Office. Welcome, Carlos. Thank you very much for having me. I just really want to say I do so appreciate you coming on the show um, to, to talk with us about this. Can you tell us from your perspective how the backlog really started to develop over really like most of the last uh, decade? What part of the system is kind of sticking? Um, well, I think it's important to understand the life of a claim in order mm-hmm. to give context to our delays. When a worker files an individual wage claim, the claim is typically assigned to a deputy who sets the claim for a settlement conference. And if the claim is not resolved at the settlement conference stage, the deputy then refers it to a hearing. Mm -hmm. At a hearing, 
The case is then adjudicated by one of our hearing officers who makes a final decision about these claims. And it's from the time of filing to the time of the hearing that our delays are significant. Mm. And of course, this is not where we want to be. We want to be better aligned with the statutory obligations to make our process more effective for workers. And Which that's 120 days, right? As well. Carlos, that's right. The statute says the, that by law, the worker should get a hearing in 120 days from filing, right? That, that is correct. And we've not been compliant with that for years. Yeah. And part of the challenge being that, and this is the the justification we put forward to the Department of Finance back in 2019 to allow for more resources. That being that we have grown in the authority that we have to enforce. So we're enforcing more laws and it's also um, a growing, it's been a growing trend the claim filings that we've received Going back to 2019, we've seen a growing trend in claim filing. So that has all impacted. Which is good, right? I mean, it means the word is getting out that people do have some recourse if they feel their employers have shorted them. Absolutely. That's correct. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned the ask that you made to the state. You said, um, you know, with our group drowning in stale wage claims awaiting hearing, all the while receiving more new claims each year. The unit's in desperate need of deputies and hearing officers to address burgeoning processing times and ensure cheated workers are receiving justice in a reasonable amount of time. Has the state responded to this plea? I mean, this is a pretty serious plea from the the, the insides of this bureaucracy that's supposed to protect workers. Uh, well, I will say that when we made, again, our, when we pled our case to the Department of Finance back in 2019, explaining the increase in claim filings and our enforcement authority, at that time, we were hopeful that we would get to build on an existing foundation by adding additional positions or resources. And then, of course, the pandemic hit mm. and it hollowed out some of this foundation and stalled our progress not unlike how many other employers experience the pandemic, but with all of the hiring that we are accomplishing and training that we are accomplishing, we do see a path moving forward. Um, And as you know, and as the article has highlighted, we've hired 50 hearing officers in 2021, and 12 of those more additional hearing officers were in the process of hiring. Last year, we also hired 28 deputies, and I want to emphasize that deputy positions are really important in our claim process. Mm -hmm. Deputies help workers identify what is owed, who is liable, and can facilitate a resolution of the claim prior to a hearing. So building capacity at this level is part of our strategy to tackle backlogs from the front end of the process. We're also doing a lot to amplify recruitment activity through uh, career fairs and expanding our social media and through stakeholder outreach as well. So, Carlos, in the in the request that you made to the state, you were able to forecast how much adding a certain number of positions would bring down the wait times for claim processing. Given the hiring you've done and that it seems like it's it's in the offering offering. How much are you going to be able to bring down the wait times? How much do you forecast? 
I, I, that's a difficult thing to predict at this point. As I mentioned earlier, we were hopeful to be able to build on an existing foundation. And right now we're getting to the point where we will have a level, a level field on which to continue building. So the projections considering how many claims have been filed over the course of the pandemic and how many claims we're starting to see be filed is, um, is changing. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. with our new wage claim system, for example, we're seeing a growth in claim filing as of November. And so we are thinking that this year, if those projections continue, might result in claim filings that reach or may even exceed pre-pandemic numbers. So it's hard to match what that might look like moving forward with the resources that we've requested that we continue to try to exhaust or fill. Mm -hmm. That includes our positions. Yeah. I mean, it sounds to me, just to summarize, you have more filings coming in, in part because you have more statutory <clears throat> authority. You lost some people during the pandemic, like lots of employers, just for uh, attrition reasons, great resignation. And there was the pre-existing problem of this kind of backlog. So that seems like a lot. What do you think is necessary to fix the problem? Like, what's the actual level of resourcing that it would take? And how far short is the state of providing you with what you need? That, uh, I think we need to unpack that a little bit. Um, I, I think it's undoubtedly the, the situation being that we need more resources. We're still in the process of filling all of the vacancies that we still have. Even though as a division in 2021, we hired more than 200 uh, deputies and supervisors and, um, and office technicians and all of the team members that make up the robust team that we have at the Labor Commissioner's Office, that is a big improvement, but we still have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of vacancies that we still need to fill. Mm -hmm. So until we do that um, and move forward with our plan to build that enforcement agency at full capacity, it's hard to predict how much more at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Phil Ting, um, after Farida uh, started to publish her reporting on the backlog of wage theft, Phil Ting, chair of the Assembly's Budget Committee, told her that, this is a quote here, they don't seem to have a plan as to how they're going to adequately staff up to clear the backlog and to ensure that they can follow their statutory requirements. Just want to give you a, a chance to respond. I mean, I think your last answer tries to address some of it, you know, recruit harder. Um, are there other plans you have in place to to try to, to build that staff up? Um, absolutely. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, investing in our deputies is not only a matter of filling the positions themselves, it's a matter of training. And we have a, robo a robust training strategy for deputies that is focused on low-wage industries. We think that building the capacity and the understanding about low-wage worker experiences and the tools that one needs to address wage theft in a very specific focused way is part of the uh, skill set that, that a deputy 
needs in order to effectuate enforcement, perhaps more effectively, perhaps in a way that results in more wages in the pockets of workers. So it's a strategy that we have implemented that's combined with our overall hiring efforts um, as well. All right. Hey, thank you. Carlos Torres, Assistant Chief of the Wage Claim Adjudication Unit at the California Labor Commissioner's Office out there trying to protect workers. Thanks so much for uh, joining us, Carlos. Thank you for having me. Wanted to bring in our reporter, Farida Jabala Romero. She has been uh, following this and driving the story on these backlogs at the Labor Commissioner's Office. Uh, Welcome to the show, Farida. Hi, Alexis. Good morning. Just wanted to get your reaction to what you heard from Carlos Torres. Um, I feel like we didn't get a lot of information on what the agency is planning to do exactly to um, cut these enormous backlogs and wait times faced by uh, workers throughout the state. I mean, he, uh, you know, of course, acknowledged that the agency hasn't been able to comply with the law that says they're supposed to hold these hearings within 120 days. Uh, But... um, I was hoping for more information as to, you know, what are their efforts to request for a greater budget, perhaps right now as the state and um, the administration and lawmakers are uh, starting to negotiate this year's budget, or maybe if they're planning to increase uh, the salary for these, you know, hearing officer positions or um, uh, or the uh, deputies, you know, to make those positions more attractive, especially in uh, the Bay Area and other high cost areas. So um, I, I, I feel like I'm still wanting more information from them as to how they're gonna exactly, you know, uh, get rid of these uh, years long wait times uh, to, to give workers some speedy justice that they need so much. We're talking about the backlog of wage theft cases in California that's resulted in years-long wait for some in the Bay Area. We're talking with Frida Jabala Romero, a reporter here at KQED. We'd love to hear from you. Do you have a pending wage theft case in California? Tell us your story. Or if you've experienced wage theft but didn't report it, tell us why. You can give us a call, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We're KQED Forum. And the email is forum at kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more Forum after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking at the about the backlog of wage theft cases in California. It resulted in people waiting years to have their cases resolved here in the Bay Area. Talking with Frida Javala Romero, a reporter with KQED. And also joining us now is Veronica Chavez, uh, Interim Workers' Rights Directing Attorney at the Centro Legal de la Raza. Welcome, Veronica. Good morning. 
So I wanted to ask you about the kind of various items that fall under wage theft. What are the kind of most common cases that you see there at a Centro Legal? Mostly folks who are not paid overtime, are not paid even the minimum wage, proper wages, all of the hours that they worked. Often people are misclassified and paid a salary, but are working ridiculous hours where it ends up adding up to you know, like $6 an hour, mm. a lot of wage theft. Yeah. Any other stuff you'd, you'd want to mention around, you know, the, the types of cases that you see? Uh, do you mean primarily for the ones that go to the labor commissioner? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's mostly that, just all kinds of ways that employers, unfortunately, um, are violating the laws and really stealing folks' wages. Yeah. Can you tell us about one of your clients, Alexander, and his situation? Yeah, Alexander has unfortunately um, been waiting for over three and a half years or so since the time of filing his claim. And, you know, I know Farida spoke with him previously, but he's, it is really disheartening for him to have to wait so long to not see any sort of outcome. Uh, I understand that the Oakland and San Francisco offices are the most impacted as far as how many cases there are and how understaffed and under-resourced they are. But um, my client feels really just disappointed and disillusioned. And frankly, he has mentioned he even feels depressed that he hasn't seen an outcome here. Farida, you, uh, as Veronica mentioned, you did speak with Alexander. Do you want to introduce this cut that we have of him? Um, Sure. I think this is exactly what Veronica was talking about, that um, he just feels really stressed out, you know, not knowing whether he's ever going to recover some of the wages uh, that he's owed. Um, And this is, you know, this is one of the cases of of people, of workers that I spoke with that really illustrate the extent of the violations that are happening to basic rights that we have in the state, like minimum wage. I mean, everybody agrees that people should be paid for the number of hours that they're working. And here in the Bay Area, we have cases of workers like Alexander who are working, you know, six days a week, seven days a week, uh, and they're only getting paid for a tiny fraction of of that time that they're putting in. Uh, Many of the times workers uh, are not even, they don't know for sure. I mean, they know their paycheck is not reflecting what it should, you know, that they're being shorted, but they're not totally aware or sure of their rights or how to, you know, uh, get help, you know. So it's not until they go to places like uh, where Veronica works at Centro Legal de la Raza that they get a full picture of how much they're being, uh, you know, uh, shorted, you know, from money that they that, that they earned. Um, so the cut that we're going to hear is uh, when I spoke with Alexander in Oakland, and um, he's just talking about that, that stress, you know, and how it's affected him emotionally. Um, and, you know, he's just like praying, literally, <laughs> that the state will, you know, be able to speed up these hearings so he can get a resolution on his case. Yeah. All right, let's uh, listen to Alexander. Estresado, pues, pensando... En lo mismo y lo mismo, como yo lo digo, enfadoso, mire tanto esperar, como ya cayendo en depresión uno. Frida, maybe for uh, English speakers out there, you could translate a little of what he said there. Yes, of course. I don't know if you wanted me to right now or not. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he said he's very stressed out. 
um, that it's been just really taxing emotionally to wait for so long. And that, you know, sometimes he feels like he's falling in depression from waiting for so long. Yeah. You know, I wanted to mention for people um, from your reporting, these are people who are working at very low wage jobs, sometimes like you're saying, being paid, um, you know, less than $10 an hour. But the actual amount of money that they end up being owed is quite large, right? Yes. So, I mean, some of these violations go on for years. So some of the claims that I've been able to see, you know, um, from documents that uh, workers um, have shown me of their claim, and then um, sometimes like the final decision from the labor commissioner's office is it really adds up because often it's not just violations to minimum wage laws. It's to, uh, they don't get overtime pay. They don't get, uh, you know, compensated for meals, uh, for meal and uh, rest breaks. Uh, so there's a number of other violations that some, that generally are also happening. And then, um, you know, there's penalties that the state uh, will charge employers. And then this is a key thing and something that I think, you know, employers are also interested in, um, you know, uh, getting this process to work the way it was intended of, uh, of the hearings, the, the employers will be charged an interest for mm. uh, the time that they, uh, you know, um, uh, are, haven't paid for this amount that they're supposed that they may, may owe to workers. Mm. And so if the hearings are taking, you know, more than three years to take place or more than two years, like the average is uh, statewide in California, employers might end up paying, you know, a lot more in interest as well mm. because of those delays. Mm. Um, but of course, like Mr. Carlos Torres was mentioning, employers can always um, uh, settle with their workers at any time in this process. Uh, but but yeah, you know, yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a tough thing for employers as well. And also, you know, because a lot of employers are following the law and they're at a competitive disadvantage with, uh, with businesses that are not paying their workers what they should. So that's another important thing to highlight here. Yeah. But you spoke with another worker. I wanted to listen to a clip of Mirna Arana. Sentía que nos estaba, me estaban explotando. Lo sentía por las demás compañeras, porque estaban haciendo lo mismo, porque nos pagaban lo mismo. Pero si le decíamos a ellos, nos despedían. Teníamos miedo de perder el trabajo. Farida. Yeah, so Mirna Arana is uh, in her early 30s. Uh, she's the mom of two very young kids, like a, a three-year-old boy and a baby. She used to work at a, a janitorial company cleaning homes and offices in the in Oakland and San Francisco. And Mirna told me that, I mean, this is also according to the documents from uh, the labor commissioner uh, from her claim. She uh, was working, you know, often uh, six days a week. Uh, 10 to 12 hour days and of course not receiving uh, you know any minimum wage or uh, meal and rest breaks or overtime pay and so what she's saying here is that she really felt I mean she knew she was being exploited you know she she felt she felt that uh, stress, uh, but she uh, was also really worried for her uh, co-workers um, and that uh, because they were also uh, going through the same situation. 
And they were all afraid that if they, you know, brought it up to their employers that they would be fired and they really needed their jobs to pay for rent um, and food and other basic things. And that's a cycle that we see low wage workers in a lot, you know, like they they need the money, they need the work. And so they feel like if they complain uh, that that, you know, that that job is going to go away that they won't be able to find other work, especially in the early parts of the pandemic, you know, when it was so uncertain, like uh, our economy here in the Bay Area and throughout the state. Um, So, so, so then they end up staying for a while in these situations where, where employers are not treating them fairly. Yeah. We're talking about the backlog of wage theft cases in California, which has resulted in years of waiting for some in the Bay Area with Farida Jabala Romero, reporter here at KQED, and Veronica Chavez, uh, interim workers' rights directing attorney at Centro Legal de la Raza. Uh, Veronica, I wanted to ask you, you know, as these cases stretch out, the companies that these claims have been filed against, you know, can hide assets, they could shut down, they could do different things. So what happens if in the wait time, the business the claim has, you know, been filed against actually just goes away. It's possible that, you know, the worker won't see any of their wages ever. Um, we do a lot of work in trying to investigate and trying to address this from the beginning of a, of a case. So, for instance, if we see a case where um, a manager or an owner was directly involved in violations, we do our best to name not only the company, but the individual as well. So that we, we already know that these delays are a big problem. And in the past, and even now, employees do close down their businesses or they'll declare bankruptcy. So in some, in some situations, we are able to still pursue um, claims against the individual where a business has closed down. Mm-hmm. But it's a big problem. Yeah. Uh, one of my, I remember one of my cases in which workers were working seven days a week, 15-hour days, it was really a, a trafficking case as well. The company owed many hundreds of thousands to each of these workers. Again, because of course they were being paid what $40, $50 when you looked at how much they, they received. And of course that company filed bankruptcy. It's a well-known restaurant in Oakland. And that made, we ended up settling because we knew that, you know, it's been so long. We don't have a lot of recourse here. We settled for a lot less than the workers were due, but we knew that that was something over what it, it was possible that they were going to get nothing. And this is what we face so often because of the delays. Mm-hmm. Let's bring in a uh, caller, Scott from Los Gatos. Welcome, Scott. Hi. Hey. Go ahead, Scott. Tell us your story. So, yeah, um, I've been waiting for over two years for my employer um, to reconcile um, back wages that were paid. I'm one of four uh, uh, fellow employees who have opened wage claims against this employer. Um, I would say that the the deputy um, who helped me, the labor commissioner, was incredibly helpful. Um, And when they, my employer, uh, ex-employer did not show up for my hearing, She helped me to figure out what wages were actually owed to me and um, helped me understand that as your, your um, panelists have been saying that, you know, there, there's, there's a bunch more to this that, you know, 
owed to us that that maybe we didn't even know about. Um, and and then the toll that it takes on you um, is is just is awful. Um, I mean, it, it rocked my confidence in in my ability to do my job, thinking that I did something wrong. Um, and it took me a lot to to leave the employer. Mm-hmm. And now again, it's been over two years. I'm still waiting for my um, uh, my. Uh, time before the judge uh, for for the hearing, uh, we had a settlement, but they, again, the employer never showed up. So, how much are you out now, Scott? Um, uh, the labor commissioner and uh, and the, the the claim that I filed is for for over ninety thousand dollars. Oh my god! Yeah, and with a with a young child, and you know, living in uh, California, you know, I, I may not be making minimum wage, but, um, you know, it, it's still uh, incredibly hard when those wages are, are being kept from you and, and you're not sure which direction to go. And then um, now that I've been stuck in limbo for, for two years, it, it does. It's, it, it's, it, yeah. it's not an easy situation to deal with. Yeah. Hey, Scott, thanks so much for um, sharing your story with us. That is uh, $90,000. Um, Wanted to bring in uh, Giselle from San Francisco. Welcome, Giselle. Hi, good morning. Hi, good morning. Hi. So I just wanted to say that, um, you know, I I think that unfortunately the reporting has reflected um, some bias. Um, I think that even the terminology being used, um, using the term wage theft reflects some prejudice. Um, I think that as a uh, from the employer's perspective, not you know not all claims are honest and deserving of recovery. And um, you haven't really mentioned or considered the stress on businesses that are wrongly accused. Hmm. Well, let's, um, Frida. Do you want to talk about that? Have you run into cases where people? Um, had their had their claims not supported by uh, these these various proceedings. Thanks for sharing your perspective, Giselle. Yeah, no, I think that's a really important perspective uh, from employers. Um, I um, think that's why it's important for these processes established to figure out, you know, to bring justice in these claims, whether it's to the worker or to the employer, for these processes to work the way they're supposed to, so that the stress on employers, uh, you know, is diminished and also on the workers. Uh, but that's the whole, I mean, this this whole system of, uh, you know, the labor commissioner being able to um, and charged with investigating these types of uh, claims, wage claims, uh, was initially created as a faster, no-cost alternative to state courts Mm. because, um, you know, workers can also take those claims to state courts. But the whole point here is that, suppose you know, they they won't need uh, as many resources. They won't need an attorney necessarily, you know, to represent them. Like the other caller, um, uh, Scott, I believe his name, um, you know, is... um, he mentioned that the deputy uh, was very helpful, you know, to help him figure out how much he's owed. I think that's something that, you know, we need more of, right? Like there's definitely a huge need out there, you know, of people who, um, you know, who who claim uh, there were these 
you know, violations at their work at their workplace. Uh, but like this caller, you know, was mentioning now that you know employers also need help uh, to get these these claims processed faster yeah. and and a final decision taken. I have to also mention, you know, something that uh, worker advocates and um, other people who've you know um, been in touch with uh, the labor commissioner or working with the labor commissioner's office. You know, they say these hearings are. You know, they're not as formal as court, but the hearing officer does act like a judge. And, you know, their aim is to be fair, you know, to both parties mm -hmm. and, and thorough because they don't want to, you know, wrong anyone with the, you know, wrong yeah. decision uh, on these cases that could result in, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of dollars, you know, that uh, employers would Oh, if, if it goes against them. Yeah. And uh, I want to get to some listener comments real quick. Norm writes, I'm supportive of the commission's purpose and benefit to California, but I'm unsympathetic to the excuses provided by your first guest, especially given that these problems existed well before COVID. Why not add penalty fees to employers found guilty that would fully cover needed additional resources? Where's the leadership? Richard writes, this office has been understaffed for many, many years because it has never had support from the governor's office, which determines the state's budget. Newsom could increase the staff anytime he wanted by increasing its budget allocation. And Sue writes, California now has money. All agencies should have money to hire staff. Veronica Chavez uh, at Centro Legal de la Raza wanted to give you the last word on what you think needs to happen uh, right now to, to help this situation. Uh, I do think that the office is understaffed and underfunded. Uh, I think that a lot of what Carlos Torres talked about is valid, um, but needs to change. And so one way, you know, and Farida mentioned this as well, is maybe making the positions more, um, more competitive because there are quite a few vacancies. The amount of the salaries are pretty low for these deputies and hearing officers. And as Carlos Torres and your listeners say, these individuals are incredibly important. They help workers who are unrepresented discover what are all the penalties, what are all the, um, the violations involved and they've helped facilitate settlement, they help facilitate a conclusion to the case. Yeah. But right now we're very, very far from that and they need to catch up on the back. They're playing catch up really. We've been talking about the backlog of wage theft cases in California, which have resulted in years of waiting for some people in the Bay Area and stress for everyone involved. We've been joined by Veronica Chavez, Interim Workers' Rights Directing Attorney at Centro Legal de la Raza, and Farida Jabala Romero, reporter at KQD. Thank you both so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And if, stay tuned to Farida's reporting and stay tuned for more Forum Ahead just after this break. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. 
Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.